Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shatiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. It is a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled house while this house remains a ruin. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountain and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. But you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld the dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shatiel, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the spirit of a whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. Now let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16, which can be found on page 1667 in your pew Bibles. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But in each one of us, grace has been given as Christ, Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when we ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching 
and by the cunning craftiness of people in this deceptive scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself in love as each part does its work. Good morning, everyone. My name is Bernie, one of the pastors here. Uh, it's going to be very useful to us if you have Haggai open in front of you, uh, in case you can't find it, because you know there's only two chapters, it's really hard to find. 1,350, 1,350 in your pew Bibles. Make sure you've got that open, and make sure you've got a leaflet in front of you. There's going to be a, an outline there and some Bible passages. That's going to be very useful. Let me pray, and then we're going to get stuck into Haggai. Let's pray together. Father, we give you great praise today that you are amongst us and within us. Uh, your spirit, Father, is stirring us. We pray that he would continue to stir us, that we might understand, we might hear, and we might apply your word to our hearts and our minds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, with all the talk about building plans that we've got for the site and the back car park and all the renovations that we've got here, uh, I've chosen to take us through, uh, through the book of Haggai so we can consider what God talks about and what God thinks about and what, what God considers as priority in his building plans because there's a building plan in Haggai. It's a fascinating book because God addresses something well, quite seriously wrong in the life of his people, but it's not about like this threatening enemy that's looming all around them. Uh, it's not even rampant idolatry in this instance. He speaks into the very ordinary life of a people who are just trying to make ends meet and getting busy with work. He wants them, in essence, to build God's house so that he may take pleasure in it and be honored. He wants his people to build his house so that he might take pleasure in it and be honored. Now, we need to set the scene for the book of Haggai, so a bit of history might help us. The Israelites have been exiled to Babylon because they had turned their backs on the God who created them and formed them and rescued them, redeemed them, and established them. They returned from exile through a remarkable work of God, moving the heart of Cyrus, the king of Persia, in accordance with his word in Jeremiah. God sent his people back to his land in order to build his temple with an expectation that he would be with them. And they started rebuilding excuse me, the temple in 536 BC, 536 BC. So just as God rescued his people many, many, many years ago uh, from Egypt to bring him to Jerusalem for the first time, he has really effected another exodus from Babylon or Persia. They are saved by him again. Now the Lord's house, you know when he says the Lord's house, it's talking here about the temple. And it is where God meets with his people, and it is where they worship him. Uh, it is a place where his people would make sacrifices also to God to address their sin. 
The book of Ezra, kind of written in the same kind of season and, and uh, an era as, uh, as Hagar, the book of Ezra tells us that the building of this temple stopped because of local opposition. Opposition that led to a decree from the king of Persia, Artaxerxes, to stop. And so they did. The book of Haggai is placed in the time of King Darius, around 520 BC. This is 16 years after they landed back in Jerusalem, after returning back. So here is God's word to them. Through Haggai, they named two people. There's Zerubbabel, the governor, mind you, not the king of Israel, the governor of Israel. And to Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest. So Haggai gets straight to the point. That's a bit of history. Right in chapter 1 of Haggai, he gets to the point and passes on the word that the Lord had trusted to him. And the first thing that God brings up are the words of his people. Verse 2, this is what it says. This is what the Lord Almighty says. <clears throat> this people say, The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Now, as far as excuses come... That's pretty bad, isn't it? I mean, it's not saying an outright no to God, but they are basically saying it's just not very convenient for us right now, God. Sorry. Seeing how God brought them back from exile because precisely it was the right time to rebuild his temple, it's a rather foolish to claim that it's not the right time. I would have thought a better excuse would have been something like, well, the last time, God, uh, that we tried, well, a really big note king, King Artaxerxes, commanded us to stop. So what we're waiting for you to do is to work through another king to let us know that we can restart. But that wasn't the reason why they stopped. And they know it. More important still, God knows it. In fact, if you read Ezra, all they needed to do in response to the king who asked them to stop was to get them to check the records again. And actually, that's what they do a little bit later on in this history. And actually, they got to be able to restart the building. That wasn't the reason. The reason wasn't because of opposition from a king. God does have this uncanny ability to cut to the chase, to pierce into their hearts and reveal what's really going on. We've got to wonder what God might reveal of our own hearts today. What the people might thought. I wonder what they thought was timely to do instead. Well, God confronts his people with a question. Verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? <clears throat> and you can almost see... Zerubbabel and Joshua look down at the hill, look down the hill to the lovely homes that are dotting the landscape. And what was once just a picture of settlement and productivity is now a glaring embarrassment. Because up the hill, God's house is a rubble. There's even a hint that their houses are more than just basic huts, they are actually a little bit lavish. In their minds, it was precisely the time to busy themselves with building a roof over their heads. I look at today and I see home prices going through the roof, pun totally intended. It feels like people are building 
everywhere. Isn't that building right and left and everywhere? Can you imagine engaging a builder to create your three, four, five bedroom house, two, two bathroom place, your dream home, and you come to inspect in a few months' time your plot of land, uh, expecting to see the foundations laid and the walls kind of taking shape, and what you find instead are rocks, overgrown weeds, nothing happening. And then what you do is you look over the, you look over the road and there's your builder with all the workers, with all your materials, mind you, and he is building his own house. Can you imagine that? You go up to him and say, what's the deal? I've, like, we've got a contract and everything. You're supposed to build my house. And you know what he says? He says to you, oh, I just didn't think it was the right time. <laughs> like, do you, do you, don't you think you'd feel a little outraged? Like, can you imagine how outraged God would have felt? It's not that God is opposed to them building homes for themselves or being busy with our own hands to supply what we need. In fact, how are his people going to survive long enough to build his house if, he doesn't, if they don't have a place to stay or they haven't got substance or, or food to be able to eat? It's not that. It's just that it was all they were thinking about. When what should have been at the forefront of their minds was God's house. Indeed, God himself. So that God would be with them to provide peace and that they would relate to him rightly and humbly. If God was first in their hearts, his house would have been the ones that were lavishly panelled. And it would have been reasonable to assume that their own houses wouldn't be looking as polished. I wonder if we were there ourselves whether we'd be feeling a little bit worried about the beautiful state of our homes. At this point, God invites his people to pause and think about the state of things, even of their own livelihood. So verse 5, verse 5. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says, Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Haven't you been feeling frustrated or dissatisfied in your toiling and work, God asks? Have you noticed the pattern? I mean, the bags of grain in your barns, they amount to a lot less than what your crops should have given you at the end of harvest. You're always looking for more food and water at the dinner table, but your pots are empty. You're always feeling cold despite having clothes on your back. Your money seems to just disappear. Where did it all go? They're just gone. Despite the lovely homes they've built for themselves and the field of crops they've worked so hard to cultivate, they are just miserable. We've got a feel for the Israelites, don't we? I mean, they've endured years of captivity and subjugation by the Babylonians. They were, they were miserable back there in Babylon. They make it all the way back to Jerusalem, their land, looking forward to the abundant blessings of their covenant God, and they still feel awful. It almost sounds like they're being cursed rather than being blessed. And then we get to verse 7, and we find out what's at the heart of God's insistence for his temple to be built. Verse 7. 
This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. What's at the heart of it all is God's pleasure and him being honoured. God takes pleasure in being amongst his people to lead them, to care for them, to protect them, to sustain them. God wants to be honoured. And you know what? He deserves it, doesn't he? He deserves that honour because he is the Lord Almighty. The same Lord who created a people for himself out of nothing, zealous for good works even, who blessed them, who rescued them from slavery, who disciplines, who restores because he loves. The same Lord who covenanted with his people to be their God and that they would be his people. It is precisely because his people had dishonored him that they ended up in exile in the first place. And now they found themselves sliding back into their old ways. Behind God's command to source timber and build his house is his honor and pleasure. It is time to take action, God says. No more excuses. It wasn't ambiguous what it was time to do then. It was time to build God's house and to honor him. Now, to be clear, it's not as if God needs a roof over his head. Uh, I mean, he's, he's got no need for shelter. No house can contain him anyway. He has never needed it like dead idols do. And it's not as if the building his temple means that they can't dishonor him in the temple. More about that next week. It's not mainly about the temple building. It's always been about their hearts towards their God. Yet the very concrete evidence that their hearts are in the right state is that they get on with what God has placed as a priority to build his house. So because they were dishonoring their God by not giving attention to his house, he reveals a truth about the source of their misery. So verse 9. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, on all the labor of your hands. It was he who frustrated the work of their hands. It was God who blew away. It was God who called for the drought. He stopped their productivity. All that time that you thought you just needed to work harder, smarter, longer to make it better, it was all being frustrated. It wasn't just a bad couple of years of drought, but years of God preventing their crops. Why? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. The message is simple. Because they didn't honor God by building his house, he has turned off the tap of rainwater. God is called the, the God, 
Almighty, or the Lord of hosts or armies. And while that's usually talking about God treating powerfully with the, against the nations that are surrounding and threatening his people, he is Lord God Almighty here withholding the Jew, withholding the rain. All because they were concerned only for their own house, own crops, own livestock, own money, own comfort, and their own security. That's the irony though, isn't it? Did you pick it up? If they did honor God and build his house, can you just imagine how much they would have received from him? How the very hands that withheld the dew, that withheld the rain from the clouds would squeeze the clouds so that the land and the crops would have abundant water. Just as we reach the low point of God's people, we come to verse 12. Verse 12 is certainly the high point of this chapter of Haggai as we hear the people's response. Verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Isn't that just a remarkable response from God's people? Now they are saying is the time. Now is the time to build God's house. It is a rare thing to see such a complete and unanimous response of obedience. It's kind of like harking back to Mount Sinai. You remember the first exodus? Coming out of, uh, coming out of Egypt to the promised land. And they all wholeheartedly as a group, everyone said we would obey the Lord. It's like that now. Not just the governor and high priest, but the whole remnant obey God's word. The remnant here is talking about those whom God has kept faithful to himself, those who are truly relying upon him. I do wonder how it was that they took action then. I mean, it's not as if like it was the first time they heard God and his word. What was, what was the difference here? Why was it that they were roused to be able to do that? Well, the next verses, I think, give us the answer. Verse 13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. See that? The reason why they obeyed God now is because of God being with them and stirring them. He stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah. He stirred up the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest. God stirred up the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. This word stir gives us this picture of someone who's roused from their sleep to action. The people of God were asleep. They were slumbering before God. The reason why they began work on God's house now was because God had moved them to do so. The blessing of having God 
being with his people is that he would move them to follow his word. I just did a bit of a refresher course on, uh, on first aid recently. Um, and we got kind of reminded of how to use an AED, you know, AED? Uh, you know, the, uh, I forgot, I'd rather write it down because I forgot. Automated external defibrillator. Did I get that right? Hopefully I did. I used to think that those uh, defibrillators, they're there to kind of shock people from life and they've got no pulse. Uh, actually, that's not what it's about, actually. Uh, you use those defibrillators, uh, I just learned this, right? You use these defibrillators in order to, well, settle down a heart that's got a, an unusual rhythm, like a bad rhythm. It needs to shock them so that they get a regular rhythm. Uh, I, do you know that we've got an AED in the back room over here, or the front room over here? And, Every, every time I go through that, uh, that first aid course, I go, oh, I can't wait for they use one of these AED things. I mean, it's a, you know, I don't really want to see anyone curled up on the floor, but if you faint, uh, likely I'm going to go get the AED. You probably don't want me to operate an AED because uh, apparently if you're conscious, it's not a very pleasant feeling. I see this AED and I've got, I've got a picture of God with an AED. And his external defibrillator it's really good. Like it's not, it's not there just to kind of like settle down your rhythm of your heart. It's there so that it would cause your heart to beat in rhythm with his. You see, the hearts of Israel, they weren't beating as one with God's. And God is the one who needs to bring his spirit to stir them such that their hearts would beat as one with God. about God's house today? Well, ultimately, the only person who was always awake to his father's will was Jesus. He was the only one who honored God perfectly, and his father is thoroughly pleased with him. Remember his baptism? And he is more than a governor or an earthly king. He is God's anointed king. He is the Messiah, the Christ. As to God's house, in which God would reside with his people, protect them, to teach them, and, to, and where sin can be dealt with, that is now found in Jesus. For he is God's ultimate temple. So when it comes to God's house, it is completely built in Christ. Which must be a relief, because I'm pretty sure none of us have got tickets to get to Jerusalem, to go deal with the rubble there. God is completely pleased and honored by his son, Jesus. Now, Haggai is written for us today as well, right? So what are we, what are we supposed to do with Haggai now? If God's house has already been built, then what does it mean for us? Does that mean that we get to now, now's the time to start building our paneled houses? How will we honor God today? Well, if you go, if you go to your leaflet, in the second page there, there's a reading from 1 Peter 2. It says, as you come to him, the living stone, Jesus, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the rock, the cornerstone of God's temple, his building. And we are those who are built upon him 
each and every one of us a rock for God's temple. In Ephesians 4, we saw we saw that pastors and others are to equip Christ's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up so that we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Did you get it? We are God's house. Built upon Christ. Purposed to build each other up. That's what that word means. It's that old word edify. You know, the word edifice. is to build up. What is the house that God is looking upon now? Well, look around you. Next to you. In front of you. Behind you. Above you. Below you. Look around the people here. We are God's house. Built upon Christ. And we get this honor. And we get this privilege of being able to build and be part of God's building of his house as we build one another with God's word opened before us. At Trinity, we do this building work in three simple ways. We talk about this a lot. But it's so foundational. Foundational. It's so important that we need to keep repeating it. Three ways in which we do it together. One is that we turn up to each and every one of our gatherings here with our work boots on. Turn up. Such that we can honor God together. Number two is to join a growth group, to be part of a growth group. Precisely where we get to open up the Bible together to hear God and we get to speak that truth to one another in love. You get limited time to do it on Sundays. And so we need to be in those growth groups so we can do it, that we might build God's church, be part of his building. Firstly, is to turn up to our gatherings on Sunday. Secondly, is to be part of our growth groups in the midweek. Third, is to be serving. And there are so many ways in which we can serve. Friends, we have sent, we have sent so very many people to three church plants in just these past few months. There are holes and gaps everywhere. You think it's a big church? Yeah, that's right. We're a big church, but we've got great needs. The more people that we have, the more people who are in need that we need to care for. Friends, there is a building that needs to happen. And we need you on board. So how are you going? How are you going with turning up with your work boots on on a Sunday? How are you going with getting stuck into your growth groups and opening the Bible together and, and speaking the truth to one another in love? How are you going with that? How are you going with the serving I mean, you just saw some of the, uh, the, the great ways in which we can serve and explore in kids' ministry. I know it looks really polished. I know that it looks like it just happens, but it doesn't. I can guarantee you that there is needs in every single one of those instances. We look at Haggai, and we hear God's call to honor him. And to be part of his building. 
because we are his building. I know there's challenges. I know. I know that the very, the very common reason why I hear that people aren't engaged in God's building is because we're just too busy. Busy with work. Busy with coursework. Busy with leisure. Busy with sports. Busy with family things. Busy. But do you hear the word that God has spoken through Haggai to his people? He says to them, I've saved you. I've brought you and formed you such that you would be this building. I want to be with you. And he sees the paneled houses that are before us. And he sees the unfinished state, the things that we we are still needing to be part of in this building here. Friends, may I encourage you to hear God's voice, to build God's house, so that he may take pleasure in it, so that he might be honored. I know it's going to cost. God knows it's going to cost. That if you would spend time and invest in your church family here, it is a necessity that your career is not going to be as high as you'd like. That the hobbies that you like are just not, not going to get finished as soon as you'd like. Like that's just a necessary thing. But hear God's word to us. Because he is truly a loving God. And he's got a house that he is taking pleasure in. How about I pray? Father, we give you great praise that you are our gracious and loving God. Father, you have saved us. And Father, you have formed us upon Christ, the cornerstone. That Father, each and every one of us, if we call Jesus our Lord and Savior, we are those who are built upon the rock that is Christ. And Father, you call us to build. As you build, we pray that you'll help us to do so for the honor of your name and for your pleasure. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.